came across, and I, I love it, that uh, it, it talks about our commitment to, to bring Jesus both to the four corners of the globe, but also to the four corners of our blocks. And Brian, it's a delight to have you as one of our representatives and be part of uh, you as part of LRJ, taking Jesus to the four corners of the globe. And you're going to update us today on that and also challenge us from God's word uh, as to our part, not just around the globe, but in our blocks. So right. um, how long are you going to be here, Brian? You're, you're on a home leave here. And yeah, we're on home assignment here in Canada for up until about mid-August. Okay. Yeah. And what are you going to do? Yeah, we'll be traveling around to various churches, Baptist General Conference churches, and uh, speaking there, sharing about what God is doing in Uganda and uh, spending time with family here in Edmonton. Awesome. And if we'd like to spend time with you, how do we do that? Just send us an email or uh, call us up. Or if you don't have our contact, call the church. They'll know how to find us. We would love to see as many people as possible. And, and Brian and Jessica, or Brian at least, will be in the back in that booth just outside that door afterwards. You can pick up a, a picture of their family and a prayer card as a reminder mm -hmm. um, and connect. There's something else special about you being here from Africa that has to do with the worldwide church. Tell us about that. Yeah, it, there, there was a time not so long ago that the center of Christianity really would be found in Europe, and it was almost a European religion. Uh, but things have changed so much, so much in the last century uh, with the growth of the church and the evangelical church in South America, and uh, very much so in Africa. And you now find that the center of Christianity is in Africa. And uh, it, it moved down from Europe, and it's actually moving towards Uganda. One day, it'll awesome. <laughs> right now, I checked it out this week. Right now, by road, it's about the center of global Christianity is about 6,100 kilometers by road from where they live. Uh, as a matter of fact, for those of us in my generation, remember um, uh, when we used to talk about the, a nowhere place in the world, we'd say, "We're going to send them to Timbuktu." The center of Christianity is literally in Timbuktu, a city in the, in, uh, the country of Mali. So uh, that's so cool. And it's great to have you uh, from the hot spot, of, uh, or at least the center. So welcome here, Brian, and uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much, Pastor Mel. It's great to be here. Uh, this is our home church, so it is good to be home. We're very pleased to be here. Can't wait to see and spend more time with a lot of you. Happy Father's Day to the fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers if we have them. I usually live... Uh, tens of thousands of kilometers away from my dad, but uh, today I get to have Father's Day lunch with my dad, so that's pretty cool. I want to share a story. <clears throat> the main character of this story is God. God is not acting alone. All of us, we, his children, we play a role as well, and the world is the stage, and in this story today, the scene right now is Africa specifically in Uganda. God is at work, beginning with a spark, then ignition, a small flame, but there is plenty of fuel for the fire. Picture a few very committed African Christians who work in campus ministry. They regularly see passionate believers pass through their hands, and these passionate young believers have a strong desire to be missionaries there's a challenge, a problem. No sending churches, no sending mission agencies. So what do they do? That's the scene in East Africa. God leads these few African Christian campus ministry workers. One's an economist, one's a teacher of chemistry and physics, one's a banker. 
God leads them to begin Global Link Africa, which is a homegrown Ugandan mission-sending agency. So that's the scene in East Africa. And then if you cross the ocean, you find the scene in Edmonton, Alberta, in Ellerslie Road Baptist Church, sending out a family, the wife, a nurse, a husband, a nerd. Did I hear someone say amen? <laughs> um, and that's where these two scenes come together. I'm going to share a brief video.
I want to say thank you again. You, our church family here, uh, raised money and did a lot of work so that Emily Fast could come from the Philippines. She's uh, with one of our Baptist General Conference missionary families in the Philippines. And she has a degree, uh, a Bachelor of Arts in Film. And she came to our Ignite Missions Convention to film the convention so that we could send uh, the film out to many pastors who couldn't come to the convention, who didn't have the money to travel to the convention, we can take it out to them. And while she was there, she made this video for us as well. So we're very thankful to you as a church for bringing Emily to us. I, when Emily said she could do this video for us, I was very excited. I thought this is great because uh, we do updates about what we're doing in our ministry, but it can feel a little awkward to stand up here and talk about myself in front of people uh, but I just learned today that it's the one thing that's more awkward is standing off to the side, watching yourself on a huge screen, talking about yourself to the same people. So it actually didn't, <laughs> didn't help the awkwardness, but hopefully it made it interesting. Uh, I have a sermon to share with you today, and we're going to be digging into Romans chapter 10, the first 15 verses. 
I've given the title of Saved for a Purpose. And I think that'll become more apparent as the sermon goes on. <clears throat> we'll dig into Romans chapter 10 for a little while. Before we do that, I want to tell a little story. This is the story of the Ethiopian woman's challenge. So quite recently, I made a friend who is Ethiopian. And this Ethiopian is a missionary to China. He lives there with his family and is a missionary sent from Ethiopia to China. And I was asking him, because I know that Ethiopia is not a wealthy country, um, just like Uganda is not a wealthy country. Uh, Uganda is maybe in the bottom 10% of the world in terms of how much money they have. Uh, so I, I was wondering how they managed to do that, how to go so far as China to bring the word. And he answered my question with a story. He told the story of a woman from a small church in a small village up in the hills in Ethiopia. And this small village with the small church, the small church was part of a group of churches, a fellowship of churches, and that fellowship of churches had made a decision to send out a missionary family. And this woman um, heard about it and was very excited to be involved in sending out uh, an Ethiopian missionary family. And she had a challenge, though, because she didn't have a lot of money. She was a peasant farmer, so she grew enough food to eat, and maybe she could sell some of that food to pay for uh, her children to go to school and things like that. Uh, but besides that, she really didn't have money. So she had this challenge of, well, what can I do to be a part of this? So she thought about it, and she came up with a plan, actually, a clever plan. Where she lived up in the hills, it was very hard to get some of the basic needs uh, that they had. So what she did, she walked down into the valleys where she could find a road which went to a trading center or a town. And at that trading center, she could buy kerosene. And the kerosene is something that they would use for cooking up in the hills. But she could buy it much cheaper if she went down to the trading center in the, in, uh, down in the valley by the road. So she did that. She hiked down from the hills, went and she filled up a, a container or a jerry can with kerosene. And then she walked with that jerry can of, of kerosene, step by painstaking step, back up into the hills, several kilometers to her village. And she was able to sell it for a profit, because you can sell it for a higher price up in her village. And so she made a profit, and she took that money. She gave 10% of it to her church as a tithe. And then she took the other 90%, and she gave it to support this ministry of this missionary family going out. And when I heard that, I was actually very humbled. And I wondered if I would do the same thing. And I even wondered to myself, why would she do that? Why would someone who, had, who has so little sacrifice so much? What would be the motivation? What would cause her to do that? We're going to keep that story as a backdrop as we dig into Romans chapter 10. I promise we'll come back to that in a few minutes. I want to start with the text, Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 15. I've, uh, you'll see some writing kind of on the side of the slide there. I just sort of separated this passage into a few different categories um, because I'm a nerd and I like to categorize things. Uh, Romans chapter 10, starting from verse 1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for the, for the Israelites is that they may be saved. 
For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. In this section, I think that the Apostle Paul is talking about the misdirected passion of his fellow Israelites. He goes on to write that Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, and that is, to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. And so he's talking about law righteousness versus faith righteousness. He goes on and says, that is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. So he's looking there at how we become part of God's family. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he asks some important questions. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I want to talk a little bit about the beginning of this passage where the Apostle Paul is, is talking about the misdirected passion of the nation of Israel. And I don't do this to be critical. I do this because maybe we can learn something from it. The Apostle Paul tells us that the nation of Israel was passionate about God, but that their passion was misdirected. We'll note a couple of things that they got wrong. They did not know the righteousness of God, and so they sought to establish their own. And we take this from verse 3 of this passage. Let's just look at it in a little bit more detail. As I read just a few minutes ago, uh, it says, For I can testify about them, and that is the nation of Israel, that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. He tells them Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now, as I reflected on this and I was reading through it, I actually realized I don't, initially I didn't know what that meant. Um, it sounded odd to me. What does it mean for Christ to be the culmination of the law? And so I needed to dig a little bit deeper to, to understand what the Apostle Paul was saying here. And what I discovered was helpful was to flip over to another letter that Paul wrote, and that's the letter to the Galatians. 
So I'm going to flip over to, to Galatians chapter 3. I thought about, and so this is answering the question, what does that mean? What does it mean for Christ to be the culmination of the law? I thought I might go through Galatians chapter 3, some of the verses one by one, because he spells it out so clearly. Uh, but I also wanted to save time for a video. So I decided what I'll do is I'll just reference the verses and, and paint a little picture here. Uh, this is what helped me to understand. So we're contrasting the promise that God gave with the law. So this is going to be a timeline going from the beginning up until present day. It's not going to be a scale. Uh, and we're going to start by looking at the promise. Now, the promise was given by God to Abraham and his seed. And we get that from Genesis chapter 12. And it's referenced in Galatians chapter 3 and verses 15 and 16. This is a promise, and it is freely given by God. It reads like this. Go from your home country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So that's the promise that God gave to Abraham and his seed. Now later on, we receive the law. The law is different than a promise. A promise is freely given. The law is a contract between God and Israel. The Apostle Paul mentioned in mentions in Galatians chapter 3 that this happens about 430 years later. This happens to coincide uh, with the time of Moses when Israel was becoming uh, a nation in more of a political sense. So the law enters, and it's a contract made. Actually, Moses was the mediator to make a contract between God and the nation of Israel. Now, we also learn in Galatians chapter 3, verses 21 to 23, that Christ, Christ is the one who fulfills the contract. He is the only one who came and lived his life perfectly in regard to the law, not just the letter of the law, but the heart of the law. Christ himself said, I didn't come to abolish the law. The law is full of meaning. But he said, I came to fulfill the law. And that's exactly what Christ did. And those of us who have faith in Christ, we actually enter into this family. And something that's different between these two things that we're distinguishing, the promise and the law, you'll see that the law, at least functionally, comes to an end because Christ fulfills it, whereas the promise continues on, even to this day. And through Christ, we actually become a part of that. That's actually a really exciting thing when we think about it. We have become God's children and part of this promise. And so we can say that Christ is the culmination of the law so that there, be maybe, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Once I dug that out from Galatians chapter 3, it started to turn on some lights for me, and I started to understand what that means. Of course, our passage doesn't end there. We continue on. We might wonder, well, how do I become a part of this? And I've answered that a little bit in part, but the Apostle Paul answers it in more detail. If a person's wondering, how do I become part of God's family? How do I become part of that promise? 
what do I do? And it turns out the answer, the answer is fairly straightforward. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 to 10 read like this. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. He lays, the Apostle Paul lays it out that simply for us. That's how we become part of God's family. So just... Taking a couple steps back, we're talking about misdirected passion that the nation of Israel had. We're talking about a couple of things that they got wrong and what we can learn from that. So at first we mentioned that they did not know the righteousness of God and so they sought to establish their own righteousness. The second thing I'll mention is that they misunderstood God's purpose for themselves and so they failed to be a blessing to all nations. They misunderstood the purpose that God had for them, and so they failed to be a blessing to all nations. Now, that needs to be backed up by Scripture. Uh, looking again, skipping over into Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says this, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. That's us. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so that's who we are. If we look back to Genesis chapter 12, here's how that happened in God speaking with Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now maybe I won't read this word for word because of time, but it's very clear he told them that he told Abram that he would make his name great and that he will be a blessing. And he emphasized that several times. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, we could start at the beginning of scripture and go all the way through until the end and there are so many places where we find this same theme that God's people are intended to be a blessing to all the nations, to everyone around in this world. I won't go through many examples, but let me do one more from, from the Psalms. This is from Psalm 67, verses 1 to 7. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. And again, uh, maybe I won't continue reading word for word, but these people ask God to bless them so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. And it's very clear that these, these are a blessed people, but it's also clear that from the beginning, it was intended by God that these people be a blessing to all nations. Blessed people intended by God to be a blessing 
to all nations. And the question I ask is, when Christ came, did he find them being a blessing to all nations? When Christ came to this earth, did he find the nation of Israel going out being a blessing to nations around them? When I think about the Gospels and, and when I read the stories from the Gospels, there are so many times again and again that we see Jesus actually calling out the religious re leaders on this very thing. I want to give a couple of examples. Uh, there are so many, um, but I'll just give a snippet. Um, from Matthew chapter 23, I actually could read the whole chapter 23 of the book of Matthew. And it's these woes that Jesus gives to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. Um, I'm just going to choose one. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but, you've but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Jesus had a way with words. The reason I, I bring up this example from Matthew 23 is that it stands in so much contrast to what Jesus was saying just in the chapter before in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Uh, we sometimes talk about the great commandment. So this is from verses 35 to 40. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these, on these two commandments. And that stands so much in contrast to what he actually found the people doing. Another example would be from Mark chapter 11. Anyone who's taken the Perspectives course or the Kairos course on missions, this will be familiar to you. Uh, actually, this is a familiar story to all of us. This is the cleansing of the temple. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Now, we all wonder sometimes... Why would Jesus do this? Um, it, it does kind of stand out in the Gospels as an unusual scene. And we wonder to ourselves sometimes why Jesus would do this. Well, in Mark's account, he actually spells it out very, very plainly. Jesus himself, as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. See, Jesus knew the true purpose. Jesus knew what that temple was meant for. Those temple courts were meant for people from all nations to come and know who God really is, but they'd filled them up as a place of commerce, really just making things easier for themselves. So again, the misdirected passion, a couple of places they got it wrong, they did not know the righteousness of God, and so they sought to establish their own they misunderstood God's purpose for them and so failed to be a blessing to all nations. Now, in this point, at this point of the sermon, I actually think it would be quite appropriate if in your mind you're asking the question, so what? 
it's very appropriate to ask that question. The last thing we'd want is to have uh, to dig into this passage because it's historically interesting or we gain an intellectual insight. Um, that doesn't gain anything. What we need to know is, so what for us? How this, why is this important for us today? Why is this important for me? And that's how we get back really to the theme of what I'm talking about today, and that's that we are saved for a purpose. From our study of Romans chapter 10 so far, the Apostle Paul has taught us that Israel had misdirected passion. We've learned how we can become part of God's family and participate in God's promise. And that that promise continues on to this day. And we've seen how Israel misunderstood God's purpose for them and so failed to be a blessing to all, na to all nations. Now I submit that we are saved for a purpose. As people who are part of God's family and who are participants in the promise, how can we avoid making the same mistakes that the nation of Israel made? Well, again, continuing on in Romans chapter 10, I think Paul says some important things that help us to not make the same mistake. So again, from Romans 10, starting at verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then these important questions. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how is it that anyone can go and preach to them unless they are sent? Simple questions that lead us in an important direction. I like to sketch things out because it helps me understand. This is not fancy. Uh, what we want to picture here is, way over on the right-hand side, let's picture that there are people who are without hope. They're lost. They don't have an opportunity to hear the gospel. Now, there are actually very many groups of people in the world just like this. There are unreached people groups where the people in those people groups generally are born, they live their whole life, and they will die never hearing the gospel once. There are no churches around where they can go out seeking the gospel. They've never met a Christian person, not a single person. There are far too many uh, people groups in the world that are still like this. And what we see from this picture, though, you know, we imagine those people being on the right-hand side. We're here on the left, and, and we have hope to bring to them. But there are a number of valleys or canyons that we have to cross, and that's what the Apostle Paul is, is highlighting here. Those people have no hope because they've not believed. And they've not believed because they've not heard. Why haven't they heard? Well, it's because there's not someone who's come to preach to them yet and to share this hope, this good news with them. And those people haven't come and preached to them because they've not yet been sent to that area, to that region. So how, what is the goal? How do, how do we fix this? Well, what we really want, the goal is that we want the one who's not believed to be a believer. One who's not heard to be a hearer. Those who have not preached, we need a messenger. I wonder if I should say, you know, we need a preacher or we need a missionary. Uh, but I wanted something maybe more uh, general that wouldn't... Uh, conjure up specifics, but um, yeah, I thought messenger covered it. And in order for the messenger to go to those people who are not easy to get to, we need a sender. 
question that comes up then is who's responsible for each of these things? We have four uh, valleys or canyons that we need to cross. Who's responsible for these? Well, I would suggest that the two on the right-hand side, the people responsible are those who would want to become part of God's family. We cannot force people to hear the gospel. Uh, I, don't, I do have friends who have, trowed, who have tried using loudspeakers <laughs> to force people to hear the gospel. Uh, I don't advocate for that. I have seen it done. Um, I think that people have to choose to hear. And even once they've chosen to hear, they still have to choose whether or not to believe. And that's something that we can't force on anyone. And we're not actually responsible for their heart's response. But those other two things, the people who are responsible for that are the people who are already part of God's family and who are ready to take that blessing to all nations. So we find that we have a responsibility. Again, back to our theme of saved for a purpose. I want to look at three different areas just briefly. Sometimes we think of our personal salvation as the end of the spiritual journey, as the end of the journey. And sometimes we get so focused on our own salvation and our own spiritual growth that we lose sight of those without hope. Now, I do need to pause and just very humbly say, I, this could be misinterpreted and I don't want that to happen. Um, I don't mean that it's not important to have a relationship with God ourselves, and, and I don't mean that it's not important to have spiritual growth. But sometimes we fall into a trap where it's like myopia. We can only see what's right in front of us, and so we're so focused on our own growth that we fail to see those who need the gospel. And it can be a form of selfishness if we let it be. Sometimes we think that it's someone else's purpose to reach the hopeless. So I think this is, these three statements are the wrong perspective. What I think the truth is, what I think the right perspective is, is this. Personal salvation is not the end of the journey, it is the beginning of the journey. You know, it's at that point that God breathes spiritual life into us. But life is there to be lived. What else is life for but to be lived? And so that spiritual life that gets breathed into us, we need to live it every day. We are blessed to become part of God's family. And we are blessed so that we can be a blessing to all nations, all people around us. It is, in fact, our purpose to reach all nations. And so this is the picture we have. This is, these are some roles that we need to take responsibility in, as senders and as messengers. And this takes us back to the Ethiopian woman's challenge. Remember, she walked into, down to the valley to the main road. She spent money to buy kerosene and carried it step by painstaking step up into the hills where her small village is. She was able to sell it for a profit. She gave 10% tithe to her church. And then with the other 90% of the money that was hers, she decided to give it to missions. And I found myself wondering, why would someone with so little give so generously? And the answer is fairly simple. She understood her purpose. I think in that sense, it was easy for her. She knew her purpose. And so she, she figured out what she could do, and she did it. In a physical sense, she was and is very poor in terms of money. But she has God. She has a relationship with God. Um, she is saved, and she knows that she is blessed. And she can be a blessing to others. She actually has a lot to give. 
because of that. I want to give you one more example. Uh, this is the example of Naula Lois. Uh, we call her Lois. She is a Ugandan missionary. She's one of the young people that have gone through our missionary internship program. So she came for a one-year internship with us where we did some training, but also she was out on the mission field practically using her skills. Uh, she's about 25 years old, and her, uh, her background is a medical background. She's trained as a clinical officer. So that's not quite a nurse. It's not quite a doctor. It's um, somewhere in between. We might say a nurse practitioner is probably the most similar example. So she uses her profession, and she's been sent out after doing her one-year program. She signed on to do another year. She felt like she had more that she needed to do. And so we sent her further out, this time to northern Kenya, where there are some unreached people groups. And she wrote this message back to our sending missionary office. She wrote back saying, I realized it just now that I'm living among three unreached people groups. Now again, these are people who most of them would be born and live their whole lives and die, never having the opportunity to hear the gospel even once. So these people groups are the Barana, the Rendile, and the Gabra peoples. It's cool, we're in a global village. Uh, right after the first service, I had a Kenyan woman who's part of the congregation come up and say that I had a spelling error. It's the Rendili people, uh, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, so then Lois wrote back, and she was very honest. She said, I'm scared at times to engage these people with the gospel. Please pray that God would strengthen me, and also pray for the church pro programs that will have an attempt to reach them. And of course, when someone asks you to pray for that, of course we prayed. And we prayed for Lois, and we prayed for that church, and I can report the good news that uh, God gave Lois courage, and she has been out there bringing the gospel to these people, as well as serving them in love using her medical profession. Again, it's an example of how she found, she knew her purpose, she knows her purpose, and she found her role. So the Ethiopian woman acted as a sender, and Lois has acted as a messenger. She's the goer. That's where the sermon will end, but I still have a few things to say. I want to say a very big thank you. I actually have to say thank you for quite a number of things. One is, this church has, has trusted us and has sent us out as a missionary family to Uganda and supported us uh, spiritually, in prayer, in money. It costs money, and you've done so much to send us there, and all we can say is thank you. We, we humbly thank you um, for taking the chance on our family to send us out. Um, if, if there's anything good to report is that there is fruit from your investment, uh, and glory be to God for that. Um, 40 missionaries sent out for a year or more so far. By the end of this calendar year, we'll be up over 50 missionaries sent out. Uh, and there's a lot of work to be done in this world. Um, but this missionary force, I think, can help. I shared a statistic when I was here sharing two years ago that if 0.1%, that's one in a thousand. If 0.1% of evangelical African Christians go as missionaries, it will be the largest mission force in human history. In fact, it will double the number of missionaries out today in our world. So I'm one of the people that believes that can happen and that even it must happen. And so there's a lot of work to be due, but we're working at uh, raising up a mission force. You also gave very generously for the uh, Ignite Missions Convention that we just uh, put on a couple of months ago. This church did a lot for the Ignite Missions Convention, giving financially, um, generously financially, 
uh, working very hard to send out a team. And so you sent a team of one who arrived in Uganda, um, the perfect person for the job. We also had uh, the second half of the team was Laird Salkeld. He worked from Calgary remotely to do uh, a lot of the publishing stuff, a lot of um, the, the design of posters and handouts and things like that. So we appreciated Laird. Uh, you were kind enough to send us Emily. Emily, who came to us from the Philippines and did recording of the convention. And I wish, I'm going to show a three-minute video. I wish that you could see the impact that that convention had. I can't. There's no way to capture it in a three-minute film. One thing I will point out is you'll see a few images of people at the front holding up their hands like this towards the stage. Those are, there was more than 100 people that came up to say that they would serve as a missionary. And what I think is even more important is some of them were, were saying that as a pastor, I will send missionaries. That has been our greatest barrier, is the reluctance to send missionaries out. Just feeling like that's, um, we thought that's what the white people do, but it's not actually anymore, not at all. And so there's that shift in mindset from, and, and Uganda's going from um, a mission field to a mission force. And it's cool to see Ellerslie being a part of that. So I'm going to end by saying thank you, and here's the video.